bro, I wear them with a Sam Sam Zima, going dumb dumb bong bong when I meet him, I wear them with a Sam Sam Zima, going dumb dumb bong bong when I meet him, I wear them with a Sam Sam Zima, going dumb dumb bong bong when I meet him, I wear them with a Sam Sam Zima, going dumb dumb bong 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 bong. Mr. Hadidi, all I need is that beat, sir. Got a panini and I'm trying to go ham a can. Mecca Medina told me gotta go with beef first. Welcome to Ramadan, but they went Easter. Hallelujah, alhamdulillah. Now I gotta get a short shooter, lawyer, and an arms dealer. I had been thinking here in Beirut about the many sided gifts that America has given to the Middle East. There's the bad, sometimes quite cynical and even evil stuff. Cluster bombing, Saudi hoodlums were propping up, supporting the worst instincts of Israel's politics. There's plenty to regret, past, present, and probably future. But tucked inside of those exports of empire, sort of the opposite of a poison pill, there's also this wonderful counter-programming an exported American liberalism, a real and instinctual belief in free speech that is a beacon for a lot of people over here. For all of our casual brutality, we have given the Middle East both much to complain about and also some of the tools with which to complain. Now, don't get me wrong, when the Middle East finally does liberate itself, it will be because of Middle Easterners, not Americans. But there, cheering them on, occupying at least a corner of the debate, are some of the best aspects of America. And I'll put hip-hop culture right there with it. This week's guest, Chino, knows what I'm talking about. He is a hip-hop MC and the founder of the Middle East's first battle rap league called The Arena. And all of this speaking that the Lebanese people were doing in the streets during my pre-COVID visit at the barricades, at the egg, in Martyr Square, it sure sounded a lot like what the arena had been up to for years, providing a platform for Arab battle rappers from all over the Middle East to come and speak their mind fiercely and freely. Chino and I talked about all of that, about growing up in Saudi and in Syria and the Philippines, and we talk it out over Irish coffee on a fine misty morning at the Carton Store in Hamra, Beirut. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. Check, one, two, test, okay. That's, that's all I came here for, was see a professional do a mic check. <laughs> How many mic checks have you done in your life? Uh, Thousands, man, you know? Thousands of mic checks. Yeah, uh, like between studios and an actual, like, before shows with the band, solo. Yeah, a lot. All and, right. What, like, what makes a good mic check? How do you do it? Like, has your style evolved? Have you, like, added mic check skills? Yeah, so I, I also manage a lot of young rappers, and, uh, and then it's a pet peeve of mine is to see them mic check because they just grab the mic. It's like, yo, test one, two. Okay. And then I, I also, I, I feel for the sound engineer because I've mixed a lot of projects. So, and also worked with sound engineers and behind it on stages. And then, and then they'll be like, just please keep going. And then they're just like, okay, one, two, test. 
and then stop again. And then she says, just keep going, just keep going. So they're like playing somebody on TV who's checking a mic. Yeah. They're not actually doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. No, it's, is... it's like, I'm done. This is, this is good enough, you know? <laughs> and then you catch the same dudes at, at the show, like super pissed off at how bad the mic sounds, you know? It's, you gotta put you gotta put the work in ahead of time. You gotta you got let you gotta let the professionals do what they're here to do. You know? Give the engineer. So that's the main thing about a mic check. Just make it long enough. Yeah, man. Let, let, let be comfortable and make your engineer comfortable because the process is the stressful part. Part you know. Once you get to the show, it's not stressful anymore because we just got to resolve the situation. The tense, the you know how tense it is between the engineer and the actual performer is just at the sound check because once you're on stage, nobody gives an F. You know. Right. Then it's already the 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 train is rolling. Um. All right. Well. Cheers, man. This cheers, is dude. Uh, some Irish coffee. Yep. Mine's got whipped cream. You got whipped cream. Yeah, we both got Jameson. Oh, perfect. Yes, perfect. I know this was this had, this had come out. This is part of your writer. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're a Jameson man. Yes, that's actually part of my like entertainment writer. Sometimes when I'm on tour, yeah, and I'm lucky enough that my manager is nice to me. Uh, that he can uh, you can you can fold in uh, specifics about whiskeys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Irish coffee is a good idea though. Yeah. Um, so we're here at the ground floor of uh, the Carton or the Carton Shop, which is this publication that's uh, right next to Calais Coffee Company. It's funny the first thing you said when you kind of got up here and looked around, you were like, "Man, it's so peaceful. You can hardly tell there's a revolution going on." <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's kind of leafy and a little bit rainy outside. I know the weather's you know rainy, and then inside people are cozy. Yeah, doing their work. Is you know, it, laptops open, quiet. Um, so this is like a question that I've started to learn to ask people over the past few days. But how's how's the revolution going for you? One thing, I'm I'm Syrian Filipino, so I, I, at the beginning I was going to the protests a lot. I'm definitely for it. Back 2015, I was down there all the time. Uh, now, two weeks ago, I applied for a residency. Or to stay in Lebanon as a Syrian, so I'm staying a little bit away from that protest itself, and then the on and being really vocal online, you know, because the police are actually cracking down on some people or like people they considered part of the protest, yeah, uh, or revolutionaries they would call them in Arabic as well, uh, the war, and uh, I think it's definitely necessary. It's part of the movement. Is that I feel is. Disregarding how different factions feel about it, yeah, this is a necessary approach to have something more of a normal, real dem democracy. That people go down to the streets and say that speak their mind and tell leaders that we think what you're doing is wrong, and being able to say that out in the open streets is a really, really good thing. If 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 that's the very least of what happens here in Lebanon, is it people get conditioned to maybe. Uh Fear the voice of reason a little, like yeah. fear the fear the, fear the idea that people might actually take the streets and, and demand something for themselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, like the politics over here is meant to be divisive, uh, and then and it, it magnetizes, you know, certain individuals, and then those individuals who are magnetized and you know attracted to that that certain politics will look upon to that politics as the end all be all. Right. 
and and it's very understandable in a situ- in a country like this with so many sec- you know different religions and sects and uh, it's quite a little understandable because they fear each other somehow and I think the politicians fuel that fear right so it's just like this weird cycle so That's sometimes I, the most revolutionary shit is just that they're out there together exactly and and be able to talk your stuff man you know to be able to say we well, don't like this guy for saying that you know and uh, and also for people down there to say we don't like you to talking about our guy like that you know and and maybe have a dialogue come from there yeah i mean it's going to get violent but we see what's going on all over the world we see hong kong we see you know Iraq, we see, we see Chile, we see all that happening, and we, there's an understanding of there's a dissatisfaction of what's going on, especially in like the financial banking system, politics. Uh, I think we're just part of that. We're part of that dissatisfaction. Yeah. There's this picture of like uh, one of the revolutionaries in Iraq sitting on a a chair of one of, of the PMs because they broke into the parliament. So there was this guy who sat in the chair of PM. This like this massively like luxurious, luxurious looking. I don't know how luxurious it actually is, <laughs> but it's like gold plated with like, you know, burgundy, like absolutely you know, upholstery. I can, I can and, picture it now. And then this guy who's really ashy picture, you know, like, you know, sweating and stuff, just sitting on it and then with his legs crossed. And I thought like, that's so awesome. And I think there's a bunch of different visuals that we saw all, all around, you know, the world, like in Hong Kong and Chile, this guy playing the saxophone while they were throwing back tear gases at the, you know, like, yeah, it was just insane things, you know, and, uh, and because our problems here are relatively less than the rest of the Middle East, we do get a lot of flack from, you know, other countries making fun of our revolution because people go out and sing and laugh, you know, while yeah. other countries, they're facing dictatorships, you know, like yeah, right. official people, dictatorships. So there's been say, a lot of death in Baghdad. Baghdad. Um, and they talk about Iran. They yeah. talk about, you know, so there's uh, the, yeah, so there's this underlying, like, notion in the rest of the Middle East that, what we have is like some cotton candy revolution, you know, but I think it's, it's the opposite. It's like we be, we, the way the revolutionaries here in Lebanon are galvanizing themselves, you know, and communicating with themselves to create something peaceful and prolonging. That's, that's still effective somehow. That's uh that's a crazy thing to Yeah. Well, and, and it's like, it's also about having the right to hold yourselves and your own government to, whatever the fuck standard you deserve, you know? Exactly. It's like, that. it, it shouldn't be the baseline that, like, people are not getting slaughtered in the streets. So I know, right? Go home. But it does feel like that's kind of the message of the government here sometimes. It's like, hey, remember when everybody was dying? Like, yeah, I know. go home and shut up already. <laughs> I know. It's like, you guys got, got it good, all right? <laughs> We're not killing you guys. Uh, it's, it's, it is a remarkable message, and it's like, it's something... It's something else to see people just saying, no, we want more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's not, it's no, it's no small thing. All right. So, but you have to watch out and keep your head down because you, you have Syrian nationality. Yeah. And, and there's a long line of people who are trying to get Lebanese residency. Yeah. How hard is that process? Like how? Um, I, I'm privileged enough where it's definitely easier than other people right i mean you're a graduate of university here yeah you've got deep deep roots does that make a difference at the end of the day it it, it makes a difference when i walk into the into the room because i I look quite different you know so 
I also on the phone, I speak differently a little bit. Um, so that, that gets me by a little bit, you know, better than other Syrians. I know a lot of Syrians who have a lot of trouble. And with the ongoing political climate, there's also a pushback towards letting Syrians go back anyways, you know, mm. especially with what's going on with the economy. Yeah. You know? So that's why I'm taking a little step back of what's going on in the revolution. Uh, because I, like my second option is like going to Syria, you know, back to Damascus where my family were or um, Manila where my family is because they left Syria. So, and honestly, I don't want to be in any other places at the moment. Yeah. You know, I love Manila, Philippines. It's a beautiful country, beautiful city, amazing people, amazing food. And uh, Syria's the same. Yeah. And I go back to Syria every now and then, and I go back to the Philippines. But with the political climate there as well, I don't want to be there. You know, even in Philippines, the political climate in Philippines, for people like me, and even my brother, my brothers over there who are getting in a lot of trouble that's really uncalled for, you know, I don't want to be in that country with that president. What is, are they, is Duterte like putting the hip hop scene in, in his sights because of all this? Yeah, so I, I so I, one of these big rappers in Russia hit me up, you know, um, his name is Oxymiron. He's like one of the biggest rappers in Russia. And we just got in contact about, some battle rap stuff, you know, and, and instead of talking about rap, we just talk about politics because he's super, so politically active, you know, uh, in Russia. And he's, Damn, uh, that's, a, he's like, that's a dangerous occupation, I know, too. so he's like far, le- pretty much left, you know, and, and his politics, and he's, he's quite vocal about that in Russia, you know. So, and he was supposed to battle this rapper called Looney in Philippines, who's the biggest battle rapper in the Philippines. And they were supposed to have one of the b- biggest battle raps in the world because... These are the high, the two highest viewed rappers in the world. Russia and the Philippines have the highest battles viewed in the no world. No shit, really. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Learn uh, something. So what happened is like right before their battle was supposed to happen in like a few weeks, he gets arrested. You know, for like I don't know how many like like an ounce, two ounces of weed, and then he's in jail for a while now. You know, loony. So he sends. I hear about that. He talks to me. He's like, "What the hell's going on?" And then I tell him about like experiences of people that's like close to me, you know, of being arrested and going to jail for dubious, dubious offenses, you know, dubious to say the least, you know, like it's, it's more, you know, corrupt. If I, if, if if it was my call, it's definitely just corruption, you know, that was, that's happening. Uh, in Philippines, uh, from what I hear, you know, from my family, that like as soon as he became president, you know, ten percent increase in the salaries of like the army and the police, you right. know, health drops twenty percent or something like that, you know. So it's just ridiculous what's going on in the Philippines. Back in the day, my mom used to tell me because Philippines used to be so corrupt. Don't stop for a cop this under after ten o'clock in the street wow. after ten p.m. Right, he's not on duty now. The cops are going to stop you all the time. Ten o'clock, eleven p.m. You have to stop all the time because they're still. You're going to knock at your door to take to take your shit. You know if they want to. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, a crazy time out there. But so let me let me run back. How did how did your parents meet? Were they in Syria? Is that like? Uh, no, they met my my dad in the eighties or like late seventies. Left Syria and he was kind of like just searching for what can happen, you know? And he went to the Philippines because he had moved to Saudi Arabia for some business, you know? 
uh, I think it was like a rec recruitment agency, mm -hmm. and here uh, Saudi Arabia was um, trying to rebuild. Okay. And uh, like yeah. recruiting workers. Like. Yeah, that's so he was like, he went to the Philippines to kind of recruit workers for the re uh, rebuild for the building of Saudi Arabia, not rebuilding because they were pretty much not really the, developed then. The, yeah, you know, the, the first wave. Yeah, and the Filipinos will go anywhere, do every job, do every job, and and you know I have to give it up to the government. They they they're one of the quickest countries to issue like a leave or for their overseas workers when there's a problem in that country. Like they issued like. For Filipinos, they'll pay for tickets that aren't aren't going to be paid they'll, to go back. They'll you know, bring you back. They'll bring you back to yeah. the country, which is, uh, I mean, relatively a good thing to. That's something, right? Because they're all. You know, I remember the first thing that struck me when I uh, went to Iraq uh, was seeing the Filipinos <laughs> who were working up in uh, in Kurdistan and just realizing it's like, it's not just Hong Kong, it's not just the United States. Like Filipinos are out there, like in the world yeah in every kind of place so you know if there's some kind of lifeline for them so that they can get back home when shit gets real then yeah and filipinos power. love americans it's like they look up to americans so much it's like it's insane and for me coming from the middle east i have i don't have like an opposite perspective on it but i have like a different perspective if you'd say you know because i have Middle East has a lot more conflict with America than than Philippines in the past, you know, like uh, thirty years. <laughs> so does it depend depend on the day of the week for you, which side you're channeling? You're like, oh, I'm I'm done with this shit. Like enough <laughs> enough of the American Empire, but then you can wake up on Wednesday back in a Filipino thing. And I can't I can't run away from Western cultural export. I just can't. <laughs> I grew up on this stuff, and that's why I speak like this. That's why I do hip hop. That's why. I also have very leftist ideas relatively to what's going on in the Middle East because my ideas are so liberal because of what I grew up, you know, and uh, and because of my understanding in the Middle East, I'll definitely have to lean left in American politics. Right. You know? I mean, I, growing up, I, I just remember thinking like, you know, because English is my first language. My mom doesn't speak Arabic. My dad doesn't speak Filipino, Tagalog. So, so that's how they got... That was the combination. Yeah, they speak yeah. English at home, and to talk to me, they're going to speak English. And me and my siblings, we all speak English. All, our, all my siblings have English as a first language, mm -hmm. you know? So, like, coming... Uh, so, American culture, to me, is just, like... It's, it's what I only can understand, because I couldn't understand Arabic TV or, you know, or Filipino TV, you know? And that way, all that propaganda hit me. I remember as a kid, I was like cartoons telling me what's good and what's bad right you know even politically you know yeah. watch out for tom and jerry man they're That's... japanese <laughs> like watch out for the japanese i was like the japanese are crazy <laughs> and then i'm like in middle east so i'm seeing like american cartoons like 40 years later 30 years later in the 80s so i'm like tom and jerry really that was nazis <laughs> You were like very keyed into the danger of the Nazis and 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 the uh, the Japanese Imperial Army. All right, so you so your parents met in the Philippines, but you grew up in Syria. Yeah, uh, I mean you have been all around. I, I don't want to pigeonhole you because you've lived in a bunch of different places. But, yeah, uh, but how I, like basically where do you have a place that you considered your childhood home? Um, I got, I was born in the Philippines, so that's the most childhood spot for me you know i lived there for five six years um and kept on going back every summer so if there's some place that i'm like this is my childhood 
and then then it would be Philippines, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I want to go back there. Uh, Saudi Arabia, I grew up there for a while, you know, like about even more than Philippines, but I don't want to go back there. So I don't consider that my childhood at all. It's yeah. Like cool friends, cool times, you know, then I'm, I'm glad to be out, you know? Yeah. I think, I feel like a lot of people who spent childhoods in Saudi Arabia have that feeling. Yeah. I mean, like your childhood is pretty cool in Saudi Arabia, man. You, you can wear shorts. <laughs> <laughs> man, I remember like just one time when there's like, my mom was like, you can't wear shorts outside anymore, son. And I'm just like, ah, what? Why? Why? Well, why'd they take your shorts away? Because you can't wear, guys can't wear, you know, at a certain age when you reach puberty, you can't wear. It's like once your balls drop, like. You can't wear shorts no more. <laughs> there's, I know, it has to those, be. Those, under, those, yeah. quiet, those quiet rules of the kingdom that I'm not aware I, of. But, yeah, I know, man. It's, and Jeddah, where I was, was the most lenient as well. Uh, I had a good time, man. I met a lot of Americans. There was a lot of Americans over there. A lot of British people who were friends with my mom over the, at that time. Uh, you know, especially post uh, Gulf War, yeah, and early early mid nineties. So yeah. much, so many Americans and British people there. You know, so we had like our life is all right. You know, over there, uh, pretty Western like as well. Uh, but you were just kind of in the expat bubble, exactly area. Mm-hmm. And then when I, I mean, I played baseball for six years. <laughs> I like I know right. how to throw a slider. You know, I played shortstop and pitcher. You know, like stuff like nobody in from where I'm at would really experience. Man. Right, right. So the the number of Syrians who've got a wicked slider uh, <laughs> from childhood is probably lower than you might think, right? <laughs> yes. Growing up and then deciding to go to a university, you chose Beirut. Yeah. Why? Um, my dad had these crazy dreams of like sending me to Cambridge, you know, and. Uh, I was not that inclined to education, so I didn't end up there. And yeah. then, uh, so because of my grades, I was just like, yeah, just throw me in somewhere that I can speak English, you know, because in Syria, it was getting a little bit tough on me. Because uh, you would move to Damascus after, after Saudi? Yeah, after Saudi, we moved to Damascus, and I was studying there for a while. I studied in a public school for a couple of years, so it was like shifting my education from English to Arabic, Syrian Arabic, and... Part, not even the language that was a big deal to me. It was like how the educational system was, which was more, a lot more of the memorizing factor, you know, than the deduction. That's like, how they do it, like rote memorization, write this down. Yeah, pretty much like you have to, like, if you're reading history, it pretty much has to be just like the book, you know. It's le- less deductive. I mean, definitely, if, uh, but that's not even the worst part for me when I was in school there. I felt like... Uh, because of the corruption, you know, how the school were, that was the worst part. You know, it's like, like knowing if somebody's family had money, they would get, they'd get into the better schools. Yeah, or... and it's not even like that much money, you know. So I came from outside, right? So we were working in Saudi Arabia, so we're better off than other people. And uh, I went to a public school that's all Arabic, wearing army fatigue, and doing army training in classes. You know, like we, we learned how to... A dismantle an AK-47 in the 10th grade, you know, uh, reassemble, clean it, assemble. How we, we were taught how to uh, roll under a tank and dislodge a, like, a grenade, you know? Get the fuck out. Yeah, and we so also... that was a full-on, like, bathist. Or, like, yeah, yeah, no, you get a... And you will, you would wear, like, the bath 
you know, bath uh, outfit, which is like the army fatigues, but just green, you know, and you had, if you were ninth grade, you had one stripe on your shoulder. If you had your 10th grade, you had, you know, if you had your 10th grade, you had one stripe. If you're 11th grade, two stripes. If you were 12th grade, you had three red stripes. So you're getting military rank basically for your advancement through high school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Starting from seventh grade. So seventh is eight is a yellow line. Eighth is in two yellow lines. Ninth is three yellow lines. And then red, you know, the Damn. next year, you know, and if you're like a protocol and then like, and, and, you know, that's kind of watches for the students you have a different kind of thing that you wear as well you know wow well, yeah it's was, it was pretty crazy man and uh in the end of 10th grade on summer you have one whole is that one to two months i'm not really sure in your summer that you have to do army training like it's like they will teach you a lot more than they teach me in class it's straight two months of army training apart from army training you'll also have to like paint fucking sidewalks and shit like that wow know? yeah so you were trained in the syrian armed forces i didn't i didn't go to that to those two months i went the first day and they were like telling me to crawl and i told my dad i'm like fuck that i don't give a fuck if i'm not graduating i was like i'm not doing all that i'm not gonna have some old man just shout at me you know i'm not i'm not built like that you know yeah and you were able to get your dispensation to... Yeah, I just, I told my dad, I'm not going, and yeah. you could do whatever you want, you know, kind of. And um, it sounds like your dad was kind of a free thinker, freewheeler. Yeah, man. He, anyway. He, he's like from a very conservative area in Syria, and he married a Filipina in the Philippines, <laughs> you know, right. like, I think he's, I think he's ahead of the curve. Uh, and and even, even just the act of moving to Beirut for college must have... Uh, been unusual from Damascus, right? From that, sounds like that very rigid educational system. I mean, my dad wanted me out, you know, like yeah. he wanted me somewhere where I would get a good education, you know, regardless. Uh, so Lebanon was, and we, I went to LAU, Lebanese American University. For, it's right down the street here, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very close, like up, upwards. And, and um, that education is for business is like, you know, top class here in, you know, like in Lebanon, especially for business. Yeah. You know, uh, Lebanese American. And that was your idea. You were going to go into banking. Yeah. I yeah. was like a finance graduate. I worked in treasury in Syria once I graduated as well. So you and went back to Damascus. Yeah. You worked in finance. Yeah. For a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And for like, I was, I've worked accounting and finance for like a year or so. What, yeah. what is that? Like, what attracted you to that? Like, what part of your brain, uh, you know, that we now know? was 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 a, a banker it's an unusual it's not it's not really man you know um it's 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 where my family's from man you know you have to do something that's that generates income and i remember you know, i was talking to my dad he wanted me in the business world because that's what he knows you know and from country from a place where that's really the only way you can make money like in here in syria your dreams are really limited you know you're not really being a millionaire singing making music you're not being a millionaire with a little shop you need to be a businessman to be able to handle multiple businesses to generate multiple incomes and also if you're if you're a sunni you know there's also no belief in interest so you can't you're not really putting your money in like things to just chill and make some money because your money is not allowed to make money yeah right by sitting there so a normal transition of a sharing making money is to invest money in multiple businesses you know because you just don't let your money leave your money dormant and right that, and that's why a lot of students are like at least from my family side of yeah all my uncles are like you know you know quote unquote like businessmen right how's your spreadsheet 
like skill level at this point. And at this point, it's like non-existent. I stopped doing banking like a decade ago, <laughs> and so I was so happy. You that, know? that muscle kind of uh, that can that can atrophy and just kind yeah. of fall off the vine, huh? Yeah, I mean now, like with with the banking crisis here, I'm putting myself the skills on Twitter and on Facebook. Reminding people not to panic or to panic. <laughs> right, all right. So, yeah, everybody, that is true. This, this revolution has forced everybody to become, uh, uh, well, actually, I, I mean, that could be a good thing. They should educate themselves, you know, yeah. of just like, wait a second, I can't take my money out of the bank. Like, why is that? Like, what's happening? What is this banking system? Like, yeah. you know, there's so much in the, in the developed world, you, you know, Beirut is, as, as well as Boston, where people just kind of kiss it up to God and they're just like, I assume this is the way it works and don't really interrogate the system. Yeah. You don't have that luxury anymore in Lebanon. No. no. Um, so you, uh, you were doing banking for a little while, but you said you had just grown up as this kind of, uh, as this kid on the move in, in these expat bubbles like in Saudi and so on of just like consuming American culture. Yeah. Is that where, is that where kind of hip hop kind of took root in yeah. your mind? It's like early 93, like before yeah. I, I really got into that expat bubble when my when expat bubble happened when my mom started meeting a lot of like Filipinas that were married to Americans that introduced her then to like, you know, American couples and, you know, and then it got big. But before that, when my mom had no friends, hip hop was like permeating into like local Middle Eastern culture. Like Already. The, the, yeah. Those hats with the metal, like, you know frames and stuff like that and then the baggy pants with the shoes like the mc hammer like you know outfit you yeah know, with the super baggy pants and the where metal. they're like re-importing the shawar kameez yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it's like, it's like <laughs> from yeah. oakland <laughs> right and so i was like that, that stuff is really cool i had never seen anything like it so i was into that culture before even meeting any american you know so i was like yo this rap stuff is awesome you know and um i didn't have a lot of friends because i didn't speak the arabic language that well so i went down and met a few friends but and um the watching hip-hop hooray for naughty by nature that was like the coolest thing for me like all these people wearing dressed up so uniquely and awesomely and having such a good time at the basketball court like throwing their hands in the air i was like what is this thing that is so communal and awesome you know, like, this is so different. I've never seen anything like this. They're all together. They're singing together. It's awesome. Where is this place and what is this thing? And uh, from then on, I was like, yo, I really love hip hop. And that's the only, and in reality, hip hop is the only culture that I feel like assimilated to more than any other place in, or you know, any other culture. A short interruption to mention something that Chino told me after this interview was done that kind of blew my mind. Uh, I had told him to look me up if he ever came to New York, and he said, you know, I've never been to the States or actually any English-speaking country, which, I mean, it just blew my mind, not just because of his English, but also the way that he uses it. And globalization can't quite account alone for that. I mean, to me, it was a way of figuring out, if I hadn't understood it before, that this man has a deeply musical ear, a talent for culture that is something pretty exceptional. We talked more in our interview about the depth of that cultural immersion.
I mean, I am, I am fluent in hip hop in any language, you know, so I could go to anywhere and talk and break down with anybody about hip hop from when it started till now. So, you know, I, I don't feel alienated by my beliefs when it comes to hip hop. But like when I'm here in the Middle East, the way I think is uh, it's a bit alien to some people. I know, I'm in the Philippines, you know. Uh, the same way when I was living in Spain, Barcelona for a while, I was also alien, you know, by who I am, where I'm from, and how, what I believe in. So, I think hip hop is like the safe spot for me, and uh, I, and I'm lucky enough to be doing it over here in Lebanon for over ten years, you know, and uh, being able to, you know, kind of nurture the hip hop community here in multiple ways, you know, not just in. And being friends with them, that's what I think the most important part, you know, with a lot of like the artists, but also creating platforms for them that's I find interesting. Yeah. Because like the battle rap thing that we do over here. And I also have this uh, thing called, I, I work with other people, of course, but it's something called Beirut Scum Week, which is uh, Beirut Street Culture Urban Music Week. So we just bring all these like regional acts. We did it last September, August, September, which is like the first hip-hop week in the middle east you know yeah and, and then we just dedicate a whole week of shows to hip-hop for over here i gotta ask you about your name uh chino which is like you know it's like with the cubans mexicans like yeah. you know there it's always for for what they'll call any sort of hispanic person who looks even vaguely asian, asian yeah yeah much less actually asian people <laughs> is that is that in arabic does that work the same way no it doesn't okay it's uh a friend of mine his name was uh, Mahed in Syria. His name is Mahed, but we called him Mikey. He was from Texas. Um, you know, a lot of Spanish in Texas as well. And uh, when he came through, he was like, you know, in, in Texas, we call like Asian looking, you know, guys, we call them Chinos. And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm gonna call it Chino. But I was like, I'm not Chinese. He's like, I'm just gonna call it Chino. It doesn't matter, bro. And this is like 99, 2000, right? So I was like, it's not going to stick. I'm Filipino. Right. It's never going to, it doesn't work. And right. I like it like so naive coming from like, you know, Philippines and Saudi Arabia where there's a lot of Filipinos where it's mostly Filipinos, all eight, like the highest population of Filipinos in Saudi Arabia are like Filipinos. Right, like right. Highest, highest population in Asians. Asians. Yeah, sure. Filipinos. So I was like, uh, going to, Philipp to Syria, it seemed so ridiculous that they would call me Chino. And it just got stuck. I was, everybody called me Chino. I couldn't stop it, man, honestly. And I, I, I felt it was racist as hell. But not, not that racism that's like, yo, you're Chino. We're going to, like, oppress you. It's like, you're unique. You're Chino. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, I'm not too sensitive about things like that because yeah. of how I grew up. You know, right. I see good people who have, like, racist or, like, you know. Yeah, yeah weird ideas it's just because of lack of education and I, there's a big difference you know there so what's the longer you started to wear it you started to feel like it fit yeah um, I, I, it's, it's more like a stance it's like yep yeah, now i was like yeah that was racist and you guys were really racist and you guys need to know that and that's why i'm gonna like wear it on my sleeve you know we uh i was living in um cuba with my girlfriend at the time whose mom was mexican and uh, her dad was japanese and um, of course, everybody called her China. That was like the, her name for sure. And then her mom came to visit one time uh, in Havana and all the guys I was playing music with uh, just took a look at her. She's, you know, sort of indigenous looking as a Mexican woman. Uh, and they were just like, 
oh yeah look at your china mom with those china eyes no wonder you're so china she's super oh china right oh my God. and julie was just looking at them and she's like dude you should see my dad <laughs> that guy is gonna chino the fuck out of your minds but it's like they were so hyped up on the chino machine that like they were looking at this mexican woman thinking this was like the you know the fountain of chinosity that, you know it was like this amazing and it, I, I think julia had that same thing it's like at some point it's like that 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 goes so deep so many layers like you you can't fight it like you can't have no. a conversation about china and actually i'm half japanese like you know like they don't even understand what you're talking no. about they're like no i didn't say you were chinese i said you're china yeah <laughs> so jesus christ <laughs> that's the that's the world that, that that you and her and and uh and honestly it's yeah. not it's not it, like growing up like you know, people t talk to me right now and they're like, yo, that's quite racist or whatever that they did that to you or they called you that despite that you, you know, you're Filipino. I'm like, it's one now I look back at it and still hilarious. I still find it hilarious. I don't find it, you know, offensive at all. I find it, um, you know, I find it like heartwarming to some extent, you know, that they, they want to name you something and like they, at that point in my life, I was searching for my, individuality so badly because I already knew that I was not going to fit in anywhere. Yeah. So throw whatever thing you want at me, whatever makes me different and cool. That's cool, man, to me. And that's how I, I look at my life right now. You know, I'm never going to fit in in no box. So I'm just going to, you know, roll around in my own box, you know. Well, tell me about the scene in, in Lebanon, because this is a lot freer than a lot of the countries where these artists come from. Yeah. Does that give Lebanon this like natural role as a meeting point for regional hip-hop? Yeah, man. You know, the beauty about the arena, the Battle Rap League over here, is because it's regional, so we bring on these multiple rappers from different regions, and their politics is so different than ours. There's a lot of things they can't say where right. they're from. So when they come over here, a lot of times they don't even expect that we'd be able to say what we say because they've never got to say it over there. And then we have a few instances where, like, some rappers, like, went, on, went in on some Jordanian, Lebanese rapper, went in, like, on the battle talking about this guy's mom. <laughs> I don't want to sound like, you know, making the hip battle rap bigger than what it actually is in the Middle East. But it's with what's going on in the revolution right now when people making songs that's cursing out ministers. Right. I think this is, like our battles are like a prerequisite for that if really? you understand you know yeah. like you we, set the stage we set the stage for you to be able to just you know, use customers out there use ideas that's really uh clashing with what society wants to see or hear right so pushing the envelope in a place exactly. like the arena i mean cussing out people's moms is sort of a, a universally <laughs> Uh, fraught exercise, but it's particularly so here, right? Yeah. That's like a wall you just don't walk through. You just don't walk through, you know? And the thing is, it, it's a specific battle this happened, you know? Like, it was um, a Lebanese rapper who's very, who's very battle rap oriented. He, he, he watches American battle rap since, since inception almost, you know? So he's a huge American battle rap fan or Canadian battle, Western battle rap fan. So that's a normal, normal thing to happen. Your mom is this, your mom is that. That's, that's just, it's just what it is. You know, it just doesn't happen here. <clears throat> so he just said, basically said like, you know, I bet you, I bet you any money that when I say this, you're not going to continue rapping. And he just went, you know, and he got, the other rapper got so mad. 
he got absolutely you know distraught because he didn't expect it you know and you know some and then there was a huge debate so a lot of the guy who got his mom cursed is from jordan and he's palestinian and that's like a big thing there you know so he's like people who are jordan palestinian and a lot of arabs really disliked what went down there it was very controversial but a lot of lebanese as well were like yo this is battle rap this is what it is you know if you didn't expect your you know you need to expect the unexpected when you get on stage you know and the, so that's what I believe, like, opened up a lot of, like, it's like a Pandora's box, you know. And, and it's not, I'm not saying that this is the first thing that people, like, curse that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. But I'm just saying that it's an instant of arts create life. It does, you know, right. art, yeah, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. like, this is what's happening right now. So the artists kind of, like, uh, ad- adopted that feeling, that uh, feeling, feeling of anger or maybe just wanting to, to push the envelope as well because yeah. they feel that's what's necessary. How do you deal like, and when you're putting on the arena and you have battle rappers from all over the region, I mean, the dialects are so wildly crazy, right? Yeah. Like, how do people, I don't know, how do they even understand each other? I think that's what, how we start to learn to understand each other, that there are dialects, that they're in, it's not a different language. It's a dialect. I mean, America is so diverse in dialects, you know, and accents and stuff like that. That is true. They're not afraid to throw a Southerner up against a Canadian and, and just... be like, what the fuck are you saying? You know, <laughs> like, and that's really what it is. I understand Egyptians really well because I grew up in Saudi Arabia with a lot of Egyptians. So I, I understand them quite fluently. Sometimes Egyptians or Jordanians would come here and they would perform and the fans might not lot and on stage might might not really understand them 100 percent. But. People from his country, which is a way larger population than Lebanon, right. are going to understand him. Yeah. There's a bigger viewership online. So my advice to rappers that are from the outside, forget about the crowd and arena in Lebanon. That's just your freedom of speech crowd. That's the, that's the crowd that allows you to say what you say. You know? So be happy that they're there, that they're, you don't have extremist people out there, you know, and you get to say what you say. And then... Want, but your fans will hear what you got to say back home right. and then they'll rally behind you so yeah. keep it super fucking egyptian don't yeah, worry don't about worry the crowd about it yeah. yeah or just man you know you want to perform for the crowd slow it down man we still watch egyptian movies it's part of our culture to watch egyptian movies it's part of you know gulf culture to watch syrian soap operas or lebanese talk shows you know there we have we have an in, like a culture that's intermingled you know and we have it's very similar any country in the middle east there's palestinians everywhere so you're already assimilated <laughs> with true. palestinians you know so that is a common thread so tell me about the arena what what uh what's the background on that what is the show the arena is the first battle rap league in the middle east uh, we started it in 2015 uh, i personally have been a battle rap fan forever you know like i'm talking like i've seen scribble jam and which happened in Colorado, you know, like this little, you know, very nerdy, like hip hop festival that happened in like, you know, the Midwest or like in America. And, uh, and I've been a fan of that since. And I followed up on a lot of like this battle rap stuff. I'm going to break in here to pass on uh, recommended starting points from the battle rap archives courtesy of erstwhile MC and Roads and Kingdoms co-founder Matt Goulding, who has been sending me clips of the best of this art form, these real-time poets, for years. Scribble Jam is actually from Cincinnati, not Colorado, as Chino had said. 
uh, and it has been replaced in the meanwhile by slicker operations like Ultimate Rap League or King of the Dot. But it's a good place to start with early Eminem, who cut a swath through all pretenders in 1997. Uh, then I would say go on to Supernatural, who's got this amazing mind and these big dreads uh, when he went up against Juice in the movie Freestyle. That's on YouTube. And for a last recommendation, uh, Matt suggests Ideas versus Shells from Blaze Battle 2000. Five hours later, I'm sure you will come up from YouTube for air. These people are fucking talented. Back to the interview. And then I met like Disaster, which is a big American rapper who's originally Lebanese. I met him in 2011. He's like right. one of the biggest battle rappers in America, if not the biggest at the moment, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, we, he came, we met a couple of times, you know, like 2011. When he so. came out to Beirut. Yeah. And, and then in 2015, he, he hits up one of my, I had, I had a band called Fariq Al-Atrash. And then this other rapper in that band. You know, he was called out by Disaster Battle, you know, because my part, the partner in my band was also one of the most elite MCs in Lebanon. You okay. Know? So it's like America's Lebanese elite, you know, to versus, you know, what's going on here in Lebanon. And I had been doing a lot of material for my own solo projects. I was I had just released a video clip called OPP. We were working on a video clip for Fight or Flight or we just released Fight or Flight. And I was releasing an album. So I was like, an, you know, as a solo artist, I was getting going, uh, so to speak. And I had a lot of context to create content. So I started get, getting hit up by the, the, all the guys, you know, and they're like, let's make this happen. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm usually the guy people call to make hip hop happen in Beirut. So I just like, all right, let's do it, man. You know, and it kind of like, you know. And so after disaster set that call out, you're like, all right, we're going to make a we'll we're make, make an league. event out of that. Now, a whole whole league. League. Wow. I was like, I already we were we started, you know, made the logo. Uh, we started with made the pages, started promoting it and then made a channel. And then we're just like, fuck it. I was like, let's do another event. And then. We just kept on going from there. But we definitely jump-started by Disaster. You know, shout out to him. He's in California right now, L.A. Uh, he's, he's really the, you know, the ignition right. to kind of spark it. Because he's one of the biggest battle rappers in the world. For him to be in Lebanon, and that would be, and that would be our first battle right. in, in Middle Eastern hip-hop history. is from one of the best in the world. So I think that's what put a spotlight on it. So... And tell me about Disaster, he, he battles in English and Arabic, but when, when you're doing hip-hop, obviously Arabic came to you a lot later in life. Why do you, why do you rap in Arabic? I, I usually, like in my solo albums, I'll rap more in English, but with my band, I'll rap in Arabic. I've produced also a lot of hip -hop, Arabic hip-hop albums. Um, I rap in Arabic because that's what's going on over here. You know, that's... People need to be affected by their language, you know, to affect, to have change in their own country, you know, yeah. and that's, a, that's, a, that's locally speaking, you know, but because I'm from so many different places, I want to address different subjects. I speak in English in my raps, you know, like talking about racism in the middle Arab world towards like, you know, Asians or Far East Asian or South Asians, I think is despicable, you know, so I'm... I want people to understand it from over here, but I want to also empower Filipinos and Asians by what I say. Right. So, they so I need to have that language in English. From an artistic standpoint and just like the, the poetry of it, what is the difference in, in rapping in Arabic versus English? Like, 
Oh man, it's it's so different. It's just so different, like writing in English and Arabic because of how the language is uh, and the what we would call Ozan, which is what they would say is the weight of the word. You know, it's really it's it's really because of its position in uh, grammatically. You know, in the sentence. So a lot of words would rhyme in Arabic where you position and grammatically. If they're a subject, right. they probably rhyme with each other, you know? Huh. Like if you just say colors, Ahmad, Ahdar, Azra, you know, it's like the same kind of weight, you know, the syllables, you know, it's all you know? So it's easier to, like, if you say colors in Arabic, it's like Azraq, Ahmad, Akhdar, you know, so it has like a certain weight to it because it's a, it's a noun. It's a similar, so it's not just like kind of rhyming for the phonetics of it, but you actually have different parts of speech and different like yeah, it, 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 categories that will naturally rhyme with each other. Yes, exactly. If you're ending a lot of sentences with nouns placed at the end of the sentence, you're probably going to get hand, and end it all with rhymes, you know? But it's also phonetically how it sounds is very different. How this, the vowel sound stretches is very different than English. Uh, if you're, if to me, when I write in English, it's, it's definitely easier to be percussive because there's a lot of like one syllable words that are just like tap, 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 you know? And you can't really do that in Arabic too much. When you think about projects, do you envision like you know a whole album in in one language, or will you uh, will you switch from one to the other? Are you taking a year and doing just Arabic, or it, it depends on the project. So my first debut album, like my all all my projects with the band was in Arabic. I never thought I'd to do anything in English with them because I'm like they're all Lebanese and we're trying to talk to the Lebanese community, you know. So that has to be in Arabic. Uh, and when I did my do, uh, de debut album, my solo album, Making Music to Feel at Home, that was all in English because I was addressing different people from all over. And I was living in Spain when I started writing it, you know, so and then moved back. So it was like this feeling of being global and addressing my frustration of being away from Syria and not being able to do anything and addressing that guilt, you know, a little bit. So that I felt like it was in English because it was addressing my own guilt because I think in English, so I must use the language I think in. You know, right. It was you know, personal enough. Yeah. That, yeah. And then uh, I did this album that was covered by Noisy Lebanon and it showed by Noisy and this, the episode was called Noisy Lebanon and it was a project about extremists and it was like a soundtrack for a movie that talked or web series movie that talked about two young guys who were one of them their friends and one of them uh, fell into extremism and uh, the back and forth and you know that story and we had made a soundtrack to that and and that definitely was in Arabic and everything you know because we used a lot of like we, we used a lot of stories that were happening in that web series. Was your next album after all of that, like in, in the void, was your next project just like super abstract and like <laughs> just like not involved with people in the world? I was trying to get do that, actually. I was working with a producer and it just didn't work out. You know, it's just hard to dismantle yourself from what's going on here. So we were working on an album called The Merchants of Menace. And it was just about to just references to, you know, video games and uh, literature and just cool things we thought would be cool. Because he's like a nerd as well. And right. I, I'm, I like nerd stuff as well. So but I thought we wanted to go di that direction. It didn't, you know, yeah. because of what goes on here. Now my, I'm working on an album called Mamluk. Uh, it comes from the 
word, Arabic word, Mamluk, which is, means owned. You know? Okay. And uh, it also comes from the Mamluk. Those are the di- old soldiers in the Mamluk Ar- dynasty. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which uh, were were slaves that became soldiers that became, made their own caliphate. You know. Right. They took over. They took over in Egypt. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also in northern India, I think, for a while. Uh, all right. So. So like, but my idea was like we were going to do some nerd like reference games, and now I'm like back into. You know, it's not, it's not very, even very, like, I wouldn't like to say political. I mean, it's not, it's definitely politically engaging. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's, a, that's the thing. It's like this region, you know, I, I guess you have to make your own space to breathe sometimes because yeah. there's like so many things that are just coming and you can't run away, man. You know, like, and we're all connected so much, you know, like I, I'm, I meet rappers from Jordan and it's just like. It's just like the other city. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like I'm talking to somebody from another country. Once we get down and we're like talking about hip hop, yeah. you know, uh, we reference the same things, you know, so, sort of. The difference between each other is just these lines, man. You know, and uh, and the very end of the day, we didn't create those lines either. Yeah. You know, we. Uh, I I I was talking to a service driver today. And then he was t- telling me how much he wants to go to Canada. And he applied and he's going to go. He's going to go. He's okay. sure of it. I was, All like, right. I was like, go, man. It's just dope, man. And then I was like, yeah. And we were talking about like just like Western politics. And I told him like, yo, man, yeah, UK right now, you know, elections is kind of messed up, man. He's like, why? I was like, the right one. And, you know, they're not really good with refugees and foreigners. And then he said something like, don't you think they have the right look at us? You know, something like that. You know, like we you can't really talk to us. We, we don't like you know, systems and stuff like that. And I was just like, uh, that's crazy. And then I kind of like went on about our own borders weren't even created by us. And a lot of our leaders weren't said to us because so for them to be unapologetic and also be mean to these newly individuals that left their own country because of international politics of these Western countries, but how fucked up that that's like setting the mindset too of people here, here. just like, hey, maybe we deserve a little bit of like bashing. That's or what I'm saying. It's yeah. it's really crazy that that's that's the level we're at, you know. And we have this, uh, uh, we're we have both Lebanon specifically has both a complexity and inferiority complex at the same time, which really affects how they are in the world. One, they think they're superior to everybody in this region and in the far east asia so they're like superior to all indians and filipinos and bangladeshis and syrians and egyptians but they are definitely you know inferior to white people you know right. like that that's their mind the or western people you know yeah. we're less educated so that allows them to lean towards to a little bit of fascist ideas and that's why we have fascist ideas here in lebanon that's not really in a lot of other places you know right it's like just that that kind of colonized mentality on some way which always you know it's amazing how it kind of kicks downhill right yeah because that's part of that was the whole system. It was just divide people into like various grades of like acceptability. <laughs> yes. And if you weren't the highest rank, at least you could still look down the mountain at somebody else. That's the thing. It's like my friend uses this example a lot. You know, he's like the rich over here or the people who, you know, who's 
running the system, they take eight of the cookies or nine of the cookies, leave one cookie and tell everybody else, yo, be, beware of that guy who's going to take that one cookie. So they make you, they give you nothing yeah. and they make you fight for the crumbs while Jesus. they take the rest. And that's how, and that's how I feel the banking system is over here. You know? Yeah. They're telling like, now it's like this thing, Syrians are the ones to blame. You know, Syrians are the ones to blame because they took all the dollars back with them. The problem with that statement is I'm Syrian. My bank never allowed me to put my money in Lebanese. I was forced to put my money in dollars. And if I wanted to pay for anything, I can't pay in dollars because I can't transfer money in dollars because I'm Syrian. So I have to open a euro account. And, that, and, and, and that, now when they treat Syrians bad and the Syrians have to leave, what happens to the dollars? They take it with them. You right. know, because the bank because system made that made that happen with them. So I've been going to the bank, and they've given this past two weeks. They've been giving me a hard time to pull my money. My own, like I don't want to take them in Lebanese pounds, and I, I it's more like of a I don't want to take it in Lebanese pounds because they never allowed me to have it in Lebanese pounds, and now they're going to force me a loss. And I was never allowed to have put my money in like deposits to earn interest in Lebanese, which was way higher than the dollars. So now they want me to have my dollars, which I'll lose a lot, about like 33%, you know, Jesus. according to the market yeah. when the banks give it to me. And then I, and I have to call them to take it. You know, I have to reserve my own money the day before to get, it, you know, and things like that. So I, was, I had like this period of like 10 days trying to get $200 out of my account. It's crazy. You know, uh, they were just throwing me in like different branches and whatnot. Is there any like any special ninja skills you have left over from bank? bank life to help you through that no yeah just knowing that you guys are wrong and shouting at them maybe helps but like my girlfriend went yesterday she's british so she went to the bank and got six hundred dollars out on her own no need to call not even her own branch you know like and that's my girlfriend you know so i'm like oh man this is yeah, you know, so I need my ninja skills. I had need is to be white. That's what I. That's right, the that's the, I need, you know? the ultimate ninja <laughs> skill set. That's so crazy because like we prefer our racist banking to be like redlining and like yeah. you know like we were talking about before, just like you know keep your dirty shit behind closed doors, deny the loans out of earshot, you know yeah. all of that stuff. But here to just be profiling so dude so outright is insane dude, it's outrageous one time i went to my bank and they wouldn't let me deposit any money i had a check and they were like you can't deposit money because this is all, this is the only bank that was allowing me to open up an account so it's not like i had much choices they're a shit bank i'm not gonna put them on blast but they're a shit bank and uh i went there i was like depositing a check and they were like, sorry, sir, you can't deposit check right now or any cash. I was like, why? It's like, we need to verify your last transact, your last deposits for the past six months. So they basically audited me for the past six months. I had to bring invoices for every deposit. That's like even like $400, $500 deposits. I had to send invoices. And I was like, why are you guys doing this to me? It's because I'm Syrian, right? He's like, no, we're doing that to all our foreign, like, I was like, yeah, but you're not doing that to my girlfriend. Man, this is not happening to her. You know, this is specifically me. I know. I, I know foreign people in this country. <laughs> you know, you, you can't just... <laughs> you're right. You yeah. know, it's not like... It's like, you know, you can't lie about these things. They're it's just like, gaslighting you. Like I know. Crazy. I'm just like, I'm isolated. I just live in a room. I don't know anything. You can tell me this lie. And I'm just like, all right, here's my invoices. And well, I gave them my invoices. I have nothing to hide. But like, 
it, the, the idea is disturbing to me, you know, and uh, and that's the kind of like weird ass racism that happens over here, you know. Yeah, that's a global. It's a global menace. It's why you have like, it's what global hip hop came out of. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know exactly. Like, you cannot get away from uh, the way that the world works. But that's so nasty, man. That's that's. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. And like people have been having various stories about that but it's uh yeah i don't even go like you know i'm just telling the story right now and it's all right because a lot of people even lebanese are having problems with their money so i don't make it like i don't overblow it i haven't even posted that i that on like on on social media to get everybody yeah. rallied up because yeah. i don't want to talk about my financial problems when i know there's people who have like really really financial problems i'm talking about like i don't want to take my Man, Lebanese, I, I want to take in the dollars. It's right. not a big deal, you know, really, in retrospect. Some people can't even take any money out because they're like, they, just right. don't, they don't but, have it. You know, you as a successful person who's bringing, you know, culture from all over the Middle East to Lebanon and doing all these things, like, if you start fucking with, like, that that middle class or creative class and yeah. like and it's hard enough for you i think that's that's just a sign that's just the ripple of like what things must be like on yeah the if, if it got if it got this far up yeah. you know how bad is it for others man you know or even like in uh in a position that's not as privileged as mine you know all right where where are we gonna find mom luke how are uh, we gonna get it? When it's just on my uh, on all my pages. So just check out my Instagram, Chinovation, C H Y N O Vation, and uh, on YouTube and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, but hopefully by March because we're still releasing it. All right, I'm really excited to to listen to Mamluk, even if I won't be able to understand. Uh, uh, your bars. I, I know the English stuff is, is, is amazing and just, you know, who you are, what you do. I'm grateful that you came and talked. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Um, this is actually a really cool interview. I didn't expect to have so much fun, to be honest, man. You oh, know, good. That's, like, what, that's what we keep the expectations low. <laughs> no, honestly, I've, I had a great time. Maybe it's the Irish coffee as well. This is a good, a good call, I think. <laughs> that is the secret. That's the trick. All right, Chino. Thank Thanks you for lot, coming man. out. Man. Thanks, man. The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Alexa Van Sickle is our producer. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Episode illustrations by Daisy D. Sound mastering and composing by Ricardo Gutierrez. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Music at the very top of this episode and laced throughout the interview is from Chino, the same MC who was the guest of this episode. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. A very special thanks to the Lebanon-based journalist, Alexandra Talty, who first wrote a story that Daisy D illustrated beautifully for Roads and Kingdoms about the Arena Battle Rap League. Thank you, Alexandra. And here's an important update. Remember that album whose conception we discussed in the episode? Well, Mamluk has been born. It was released by Warner Music Middle East and is available on Amazon and Apple and Tidal, wherever. Buy it, share it, wear grooves in that record. It is so good. There will be links to Mamluk in our Instagram at The Trip Podcast and in the show notes. Next week is an episode with a woman at the center of all of our episodes here in Beirut. Our actual host in Hamra, Jade George. She's an indie publisher a citizen revolutionary, and the creative mind behind our favorite magazine in the Middle East, The Carton. We will meet you there. <laughs>